On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Hey, this is DeRay, and welcome to Pod Save the People. This is a bonus episode specifically devoted to DACA, given the recent events that have happened this week. We have Marissa, who is a dreamer, a documented person here in the United States. We also have Eric Columbus, who worked on these issues in the Obama administration. And we have a word from Clint Smith III, who is a regular part of the podcast as a part of the news, but he's going to join us for some brief commentary about the issue this week as well. Now, it's important to remember that those who are documented dreamers in this country deserve our support because they are people, because they're whole people, because they are the people who live in this country who are worthy of everything that everybody else is worthy of. In the past 24 hours, 48 hours, we've heard people say that they should be in the country because it wasn't their fault that they got brought here, because they work hard jobs and they bring a lot of money to the economy. All things that are true, but they should be here because they're people. And we live in a country that should honor the fact that young people who grew up in this country, that they should be afforded the rights of citizenship. And we know that a Congress needs to move forward with comprehensive immigration reform. But there are also a lot of misconceptions about what DACA is. I've, over the past 24, 48 hours, I've heard people say things and comment on this issue in a way that they aren't fully informed about. So I wanted to reach out to somebody who was documented and an expert to help us round out this conversation. So here we go. What's going on, y'all? This is Clint. And I just wanted to share a quick note about something that I've been struggling with a little bit over the past week. And that's around the rhetoric for dreamers that either explicitly or implicitly implies that their parents are actually the ones to blame. For me, it's devoid of any thoughtful historical analysis because undocumented parents aren't coming to the U.S. because they're criminals or because they're negligent. They're coming because violence and poverty and social instability threaten their lives back in their home countries. As a parent now, I understand better what it means to feel like you would literally do anything in the world to protect your kids. And that's what these parents are doing. And when I was a high school English teacher in Maryland, many of my students were undocumented. And I saw firsthand how devastating it was when a parent or a sibling or a friend was deported. It disrupted the stability of an entire community. When we implicitly and singularly blame parents, we ignore decades of U.S. trade, military, and aid policy that has shaped the unstable political landscapes of these countries, whether we consider the way the U.S. government has propped up regimes that engage in profound and devastating human rights violations, or how different trade agreements that contribute to economic instability and stratification push workers out of their home countries and into places where they think they can find better economic opportunities. We have to attend to and be cognizant of the root causes of migration from Mexico and Central America, among the many other countries around the world where undocumented migrants are coming from. So saying something like, it's no fault of their own, may seem sympathetic, but it's worth considering who you're then implying the fault lies with. Marissa, thanks so much for joining us on the special episode of Posse of the People, just dedicated to talk about DACA. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Now, Marissa, what's your experience with DACA? Well, my experience with DACA starts a very long time ago, and 
Um, I came to the United States when I was nine years old, um, came straight to the United States uh, from Mexico, from the state of Chihuahua, and grew up in a small mountain town in Colorado called Glenwood Springs. And um, growing up, I I didn't really understand what it meant to be undocumented or the impact that it would have. Um, until I really got to high school and saw what being undocumented meant for my older sister, who at the time was trying to to go to college. And, uh, you know, her wings were clipped short by not having a social security number and not having financial aid. And so I knew I had to work incredibly hard to go to school. Um, so I worked really hard to have the best grades so that I could earn as many scholarships as I could to go to school. Um, and even with the scholarship aid that I had, I still had to come up with half of the out-of-state tuition cash. So my mom said, you know, we're going to make it work because we we want you to be in school. And so my dad um, and my mom worked incredibly hard to be able to make that happen. But come junior year, summer before the, um, the summer before my junior year of college, my family's savings started to run low. Um, and I wasn't sure if I'd be able to go back to college for a third year. And I'd ask my mom, I'd sit down with her and said, you know, let me go back to Mexico. Um, Let me live a life where I can be free because I saw her break her back every single day to be able to give me the opportunity to have an education. And I would graduate with a degree that wouldn't mean nothing. And I said, I don't want a degree that's framed on a wall um, that doesn't allow me to fulfill my dreams. And leaving this country would have meant that I wouldn't wouldn't be able to come back for 10 years. And at the time, my parents were still undocumented. And so they wouldn't be able to see me. And so my mom said, Marissa, I need you to keep your hope and keep the faith. And um, I continued working, cleaning houses with my mom that summer. And in June of 2012, I got a call while I was cleaning a house with my mom from one of my friends, and she said, Marissa, turn on the news. Um, there's an important announcement that President Obama is making. And that summer, he announced um, DACA. And for me, it just like lifted the weight of the world off my shoulders, because that meant that all the sacrifices that we had made up to that point would mean something, and that I would be able to go back to school, because now I was eligible to... Um, request a private student loan. Um, And so I went back to school for a third year and really was excited about being able to graduate college. And um, in the state of Colorado, they passed in-state tuition for undocumented students um, my senior year of college. And so I was able to finish college, which was something that didn't seem possible before DACA. And I tell people this all the time, being able to get DACA not only meant that I could keep going to school, but it also allowed me to acknowledge my own story, um, a story that I was incredibly ashamed to tell um, because the people around me referred to immigrants as illegals, as aliens. And I was ashamed. I was very ashamed of who I was. And having um, the opportunity to have DACA allowed me to really own my story and own my challenges and share what that story had been like for me. Thank you for sharing your story, Marissa. Now, what is the process of, of actually applying for DACA and getting DACA? So I remember like as soon as DACA was announced, I made myself an expert in what it was going to mean for me. Um, and so 
because I was always my own attorney. So that meant that I completed all of the forms on my own. And um, DACA was open to any young person who had arrived in this country before um, the age of before the age of 15 and and um, was under the age of 31 and was above 15. And so you also had to prove continuous presence in the United States for that period of time and also show proof that you were in the country the day that President Obama announced DACA. So that meant you had to give school records, bank records, statements of people uh, about your continuous presence in the country. Um, and later on, as I started getting older, that translated into me handing over to um, USCIS all of my bank information to prove that I had been in, a, in the country again continuously. Um, it, it also has a fee, um, close to $500 that you pay. You go through uh, a pretty intensive screening process where your fingerprints are taken. The, the FBI runs background checks on you. Um, and so before you are even allowed to receive an employment authorization card and a social security number, they know everything about you. Um, they ask about all the addresses you've ever lived in. Um, and they ask for references and school records and school diplomas to show that you are in school. Cause one of the requirements for DACA is also that you are either in high school or have graduated high school. And so that's a requirement. So you show that as well. Now, what did you make of Sessions' speech about DACA and Trump's decision to end DACA in six months? You know, to to this day, um, I spoke to my to my old students so after receiving DACA. I, I actually went into the classroom and I taught for two years. And this morning, I faced um, a room full of five hundred high school students, and I and I shared with them what that moment felt like for me on Tuesday. Um, and I feel a lot of rage. And I think that that's the only word I can use to describe it, because when I heard Attorney General Sessions say that we were stealing jobs, I thought about how incredibly hard I've always worked to have what I have. Um, And I called my mom later that day and I said, you know, I had calluses in my hands before I had a college degree in my hands um, because I cleaned houses every summer, seven days a week to be able to afford what I had. Um, and after I graduated college, I went back, to, I went on to become a teacher and give everything of myself to my community and my kids. Um, and, and, I was a, and I'm a self-sufficient adult. I've never asked for any support from the government. In fact, we don't even qualify for that. Um, and so to me, it's like this incredibly cruel um, and untrue statement to say, that we are taking something away from the American people. Marissa, again, thank you so much for coming today and and helping us understand this better. Thank you again for continuing to share. Now, what are some misconceptions about DACA or about dreamers that we, that we should address that you want to help people think about differently and better? You know, I think one of the most important ones to me um, is the idea that all DACA recipients are Latino. We're not. DACA recipients um, come from all over the world and from all walks of life. There are some of us who um, hold college degrees. There are some of us who finished high school and went on to to a trade. Um, and so I think 
those are really important things to remember um, is one, we're not all Latino. We don't all look alike and we can't assume um, that a person is DACA or not. And we also have to be really careful of that narrative because in that narrative, we erase so many people who are eat, who are struggling in the same way that I am. Um, you know, I have friends who, who are black and undocumented. I have friends who are Filipino and undocumented. I have friends who are Australian and undocumented. And so this narrative that it's only Latinos or that it's only Mexicans, it's, it's so wrong. Um, I think another thing that you often hear is like, we were brought here through no fault of our own, blaming our parents for something. And I'm like, one, my parents have... My parents are not criminals and the fact that they came to this country to seek a better life um, and to pursue their dreams for their kids doesn't make them bad people. Um, and I think that that narrative is incredibly hurtful to the people who have given everything to give us a, a better life. Um, and I think that it's like, and I understand that politically, oftentimes that's what like people want to hear is that we are not at fault, but I also don't want people to think that, uh, you know, our parents are criminals because they are not. Um, and my parents um, have been able to adjust their status. And when I call my mom on Tuesday, my mom was in tears. Um, and it like breaks my mom's heart to say like, I have sacrificed so much. I've seen you work so hard and give so much of yourself to be treated in this way. Um, and yet at the end of the conversation I had with her on Tuesday, she said, Marissa, a number has never defined your humanity and borders have never, uh, and your dreams have never been bound to borders. And I want you to remember that. And I want you to remember that you've gone through harder things than this before and that you will come out victorious. And so to think to hear that resiliency in my mother's voice um, is what has kept me going. And so we often say that like our parents were the original dreamers. Um, they were the ones who had that dream that brought us here. And that is, that is not a crime. Now, what do you say to the other people who are dreamers, who are documented, uh, who are also in a context right now that is challenging because of the Trump administration's recent decision? What do you say to them in this moment? My biggest message, and, and I walked in with this message today for my, for my old students, was that our dreams end the day that we give up. Um, our dreams are not going to end because DACA is over. And so today and in the days to come and in the weeks to come, we've got to fight harder than we ever have before. Um, and giving up is not an option right now. People like me have been in this fight for 15 years. Um, and we're ready to keep going and we want people to stay hopeful in that we are powerful and our community is resilient. And most importantly, that today we do not stand alone. Um, on Tuesday, I had the privilege of walking to this rally um, with five people who I work closely and they're all white. And they all said, I'm going to stand with you because this matters to me because you matter. Uh, and because this is not the country that I call home. And I also have faith in those people right now um, in saying, like, we are going to stand up stronger together. Um, and that's how we're going to win this fight. So we just really have to stay grounded in the fact that, like, 
we've gone through really hard things and we're still standing um, and we have the power and the support and the love to keep going this time around as well. Now, to all the allies out there and all the people like me who who believe in DACA, who want to uh, help the dreamers, who believe that we need to do comprehensive immigration reform, what can we do in this moment? You know, I think so much of the misconceptions that come um, about immigration and come about DACA is that people don't know DACA recipients and they often don't interact with people who share their immigrant story. And so one of the biggest things that I can tell people um, who are listening and our allies is get to know someone who has DACA, get to know your immigrant community, because in those stories, you are going to find um, so much of the values that that America stands for. And so and if you don't know, if you think you don't know anyone who's undocumented, uh, show up, show up to these rallies, show up to where people are having these conversations and ask questions because the more that you know, the less that you're going to fear other people. Um, So to me, that's the number one thing is just like learn more about the issues. Um, The other one is stay informed and pay attention. Like we cannot afford right now um, to close our eyes or hearts or minds to what is happening in our country, whether that is DACA, whether that is healthcare, whether that's um, issues that, Im- that impact um, our Black communities. Like, we can't stop paying attention now or ever. So continue to listen um, and continue to show up for one another because right now, so many people who are in this fight, including myself, need to be reminded every single day that someone else has our back and that someone else is going to help us keep going when the road gets hard. Um, so that's really important. And then I absolutely think that people should continue to call their elected officials and hold them accountable because when you elect someone to represent you in Washington, DC, and they are not doing their job, you have to remind them that they work for you, um, that they're there to represent the people, especially those who, who are voting members of our society. You should call and you should show up to any town halls they have, send them emails, send them facts. Because now more than ever, we cannot let them forget that they have promised dreamers a dream act since 2001, and it hasn't come about. And right now we're under a tight deadline and we cannot let them forget that we are still here and that we are still paying attention. So those would be my recommendations. And Um, I think right now, too, so many organizations who support immigrant youth and families um, are running low on resources and on funds. So research and look up uh, immigrant serving organizations in your area and in your community and figure out what they need, whether that's volunteers, um, if they need donations and make sure that you're supporting them, um, because those are the organizations and the people who are going to be really close to the issues and the communities who are being impacted. Now, Marissa, how can people get in touch with you if they want to get in touch with you? Are you on social media? Can people follow you on Twitter or Facebook? Yeah, absolutely. Follow me on Facebook. Um, my full name's Marissa Molina, and I love to stay in touch with people. And if you have questions or want to know more about my story, I'm always um, willing to share. I think there's a lot of power in storytelling. And so, I'm happy to continue to share and engage with people in this conversation through Facebook.
Now, how long are you still a teacher? I transitioned out of the classroom a year ago, but continue to support my school community very, very closely. So, Marissa, thanks so much for for sharing your story with us today and for uh, for helping us think about this issue better and what we can do and what everybody can do in this moment. Uh, consider your friend of the pod and look forward to having you back on. Awesome. Thanks so much. Don't go anywhere. More Pod Save the People is coming. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Pod Save the People is brought to you by Factor. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. You can crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Now, let me tell you all, They sent me the Factor Meals, and it is absolutely true. Two minutes, pop it in a microwave, and it literally is restaurant-quality food. So far, my favorites are chicken parmesan. I am a chicken parmesan connoisseur. This stuff is good. It has broccoli and tomatoes, and it is creamy and amazing. Mmm, yum. So easy to throw it in the microwave and have a good meal. I'm saving money. I'm not eating out at restaurants so much. It's healthy. Like I cannot say more about Factor Meals. So if you want to be down with this, head to factormeals.com slash PSTP50 and use code PSTP50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code PSTP50 at factormeals.com slash PSTP50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. Potsy of the People is brought to you by BetterHelp. Now, y'all, the beginning of this year has just been a lot going on, like from work and family and friends and just, you know, the weather's been awful in New York City and Baltimore. There are a lot of stressors happening, big and small, and we keep them bottled up. It can start to affect us negatively. 
Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com people today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot people. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Eric, thanks so much for joining us today on this special episode of Pod Save the People, just dedicated to DACA. Thanks for having me, DeRay. Now, why do you know so much about DACA? <laughs> I uh, was uh, a political appointee in the Obama administration uh, for five years at the Department of Justice and then for three years at the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, at, at Homeland Security, I was special counsel in the office of the general counsel, where uh, we had uh, uh, a lot to do in terms of uh, defending legal challenges to, that were related to DACA. So let's just start with the basics. What is DACA and what is a dreamer? I feel like it's I've been in the news a lot in the past 24, 48 hours, but I want to just make sure that we all have a basic understanding. So what is DACA? What is a dreamer? Uh, sure. So DACA it stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, and it is a way to uh, help uh, people who came to this country uh, when they were children um, without having much say in the matter, and for the most part, consider themselves as American as you uh, or me. Uh, the history of DACA is that Congress, for many years, was trying to pass something known as the DREAM Act, uh, which would give a path to citizenship for people who came to this country as children. Uh, those efforts did not succeed, in part because of it's very hard to get legislation passed, especially when you need 60 votes uh, in the Senate. And in 2010 was the most recent failure. And after that, Barack Obama thought about his options, realized that with a, a Republican-controlled House of Representatives, there was very little chance of getting the DREAM Act through. So he decided to act on his own and through a, a memorandum by the Department of Homeland Security, create DACA. Now, what DACA does is it helps people who conform to a very precise set of criteria. They have to have been, the program was rolled out in June of 2012. And at that time, you had to have been under the age of 31. You had to have come to the United States before you were 16, 
and you had to have lived in the United States since 2007. Okay, okay, let's stop right there. So uh, let me just make sure I understand. So Congress tried yes. to pass a comprehensive package, yes. what was called the DREAM Act, that would have actually been a path to citizenship for those who are undocumented, and it failed. So because it failed, the administration, the Obama administration, doubled back and said, well, let's see what we can do as an administration. And that's how we got DACA. That is not a path to citizenship, but is better than the undocumented status because DACA is not a path to citizenship, right? That's exactly right. DACA is not a path to citizenship. There's lots of controversy over what the administration can and cannot do by itself. But one thing that everyone agree upon, everyone agrees upon is that Congress, the administration cannot grant citizenship on its own. Okay. I get it. So dream act didn't pass administration wanted to do something that was better than nothing but was not yet a pathway to citizenship because they didn't have the power to do that. That makes sense. Now, I've heard people call the documented young people dreamers, but the DREAM Act didn't pass. So are people just using dreamers and DACA interchangeably or synonymously? Yes, the term is used interchangeably. And and the the DREAM Act is was proposed in, in various different incarnations. And so there's probably not a precise match between what any specific uh, version of the dream act would have would have done or, or the people it would have covered and the set of people that daca covered but colloquially the terms are used interchangeably okay can you go through the criteria one more time so to qualify for daca in 2012 what was the criteria you had to meet yes you had to be uh, under the age of 31 as of june 2012 you had to have come to the United States when you were 15 or younger. You had to have been here since June of 2007. Uh, and you had to either to be in school or have graduated from high school or have obtained a GED or be uh, a, a veteran. And if you're convicted of a felony or a significant misdemeanor or three or more other misdemeanors, or you're otherwise a, a threat to national security or public safety, then you are ineligible for DACA. And now just back to the facts. So DACA is a two-year, a two-year what? It's a two-year permit. You get a permit, like you literally get a card uh, that, in essence, uh, says that the government is not going to pursue you, not going to try to kick you out of the country during that two-year period, as long as you keep your nose clean. Uh, and it crucially gives you authorization to work, uh, to work on the books, to, in essence, just as if you were uh, a lawful resident or here on a visa or an American citizen. Now, before DACA, uh, the dreamers were essentially in the shadows, as, as people often say. They either had to work off the books uh, or find employers who were willing to, to look the other way and, and, in essence, kind of sign a false uh, employment verification form. Um, or they had to, to procure like someone else's social security number and use that. Now, obviously, those are not fantastic options. So this enabled them to live a somewhat normal life. Uh, it also enables them to pay in for Social Security and Medicare, uh, which, of course, they would not be receiving for a very long time. But if that if they were to eventually have their status uh, regularized, then they would be eligible for that 
many years down the road. Uh, and there, with this also came a set of benefits in certain states. Like, for example, in Texas, if you have a legal status, rather, if you have if you're authorized to work in Texas, then you have the right to get a driver's license. Uh, and in some states, there are a set of other benefits accrue by virtue of having this uh, DACA permit. Now, there are some federal benefits that DACA recipients can't take advantage of, right? That's correct. Uh, when you hear people talk about all oh, these DACA kids, they come up here and they just we just you know support them and they're on welfare and all that. Uh, that's not true. There's, they're, they're not eligible for uh, federal programs such as, such as food stamps or, uh, uh, or Social Security disability programs or anything that, uh, anything that we traditionally think of as the short-term uh, safety net for people in this country. They're not eligible for Medicaid. They're not eligible to purchase uh, uh, Obamacare on, on the exchanges. Uh, so uh, their their lives are made a lot easier by DACA, but they're still in nowhere near as good a situation as if they were U.S. citizens. Now, what do we make of Sessions' speech about DACA or the Trump administration's decision to only keep it around for uh, for six months? Uh, well, so uh, what what Trump did um, in essence was to announce that. DACA would be would be winding down. Uh, no new uh, DACA permits would be handed out. Uh, if you have uh, the flip side, though, no permits will be canceled. So if you have a two year DACA permit, it's valid until its expiration date. Uh, if your permit was going to expire between now and March 5th, you need to submit it for renewal by October 5th. And then you can get a, a two-year uh, renewal. Um, one one thing that they did to limit uh, DACA uh, a little bit right now is that they know they were made a lot harder for DACA recipients to travel abroad. Uh, it's a program called Advanced Parole, which in essence lets you leave the country even though you're not don't really have legal status. Um, and let them let you come back in. And that is now ended for reasons that I'm not, which I'm not fully aware. Now, what does this actually mean for the DACA recipients? What are they left to do in this moment? Uh, well, if nothing happens, if Congress doesn't act, and if Trump doesn't uh, somehow have a change of heart, then when their DACA permit expires, they will be, in essence, in the same situation they were before uh, 2012. They will be here. They will be unauthorized to, to be present in the United States. They will be vulnerable to being removed from the country. Now, is that going to happen? Probably not for any individual DACA recipient, but there are certainly no guarantees uh, Trump has said, uh, he said yesterday in a statement that he has instructed uh, the Department of Homeland Security that their priorities remain uh, criminals and gang members, uh, but there are no hard and fast rules uh, governing that. Uh, and ICE, uh, the, the arm of DHS that uh, is responsible for uh, enforcing the immigration laws, is uh, 
historically very aggressive uh, because that's their job. And they, they, ice really epitomizes the old adage that to a man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And that's why under the Obama administration, uh, we we really tried to rein in what ICE was was doing, uh, and they didn't like that at all. Uh, in order to force them to prioritize uh, the most dangerous and the worst um, unauthorized uh, immigrants, and give exemptions, for example, to to folks in the category of of DACA. Now, if Trump wanted to. He could instruct uh, DHS and instruct ICE that uh, people who have DACA or who have had DACA are not to be taken in from removal proceedings uh, unless they receive approval from like a higher a higher up in in ICE. Because the fear is not necessarily that ICE agents are going to be kind of going around and you know, trying to find dreamers and knock on their door and, and get rid of them, but rather that they'll be conducting a raid and they will indiscriminately kind of round up a whole bunch of people, a whole family, a whole set of people, you know, at a, at a, at a work site. Uh, and they will not distinguish between people who have had DACA and, and others. So if the Trump administration really wanted to uh, ensure or come close to ensuring that DACA recipients will not be removed from the country. They could do that, but uh, I'm not sure that the administration wants to. Now, I've seen reports and I've heard people say that they had to give a lot of information to the government when they uh, registered for the DACA program and that they're now worried that that information might be used against them. What do you make of that? What do you say? Yes, and that that is a valid fear. And there were some uh, groups that were uh, after the election were recommending that uh, people not apply for DACA at all because they were afraid of just this uh, happening under the Trump administration. Now, uh, this was a fear uh, even even under the Obama administration because it was possible that someone could apply for DACA and have their application uh, rejected. Uh, because they didn't meet uh, all the criteria, and then you know we, uh, the government, would be sitting there with their all their information, and so uh, DHS had rules uh, because there are basically two different sides of the house, if you will. There was ICE that does the most of the uh, immigration enforcement, and then there is what's known as what's called the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services. They're uh, uh, you might call them the good guys. They're the ones who process uh, applications and, and try to get people uh, citizenship. And so the, we basically imposed a wall between those two sides of the house in terms of information that was contained on in DACA, uh, uh, DACA applications. That if you, we would not hand it over to ICE or to CBP unless there was good cause, unless you were had done something bad or you were somehow a threat to public safety or security and and uh, it was necessary to to use that information to find you. And what do you think are some of the misconceptions about DACA? Misconceptions about DACA. Well, yeah, there are there certainly have been some some misconceptions about DACA. I mean one one um misconception is that uh these are kids. Um but most of them are are adults. Uh, by this point, um, and they've are in the process of building their lives, uh, and 
They don't want that to be disrupted. Another misconception is that there are people who just got here, um, where in reality, they've been here for quite a while, uh, because in 2012, the, uh, the, when DACA was created in 2012, to be eligible, you need to have been here for five years, going back to 2007. So now we're in 2017. That means that everyone who has DACA, every single person, has been here in the United States for at least a decade. Uh, and that's a long time to, uh, to put down roots, especially if when you came here, uh, you were quite young. Um, another misconception is that they're on welfare, and that's something we touched on earlier. Uh, they're not eligible for that at all. Uh, another misconception is uh, that they, uh, now that they're here, they'll be able to bring their families here and, and so forth. But, but DACA, as, as it is currently designed, uh, since it does not give them a path to citizenship, they have no ability to bring their families uh, here at all. Another thing that uh, is interesting is that DACA essentially funds itself um, by the application fees that uh, applicants pay in order to be considered. Now, what about the parents of DACA recipients? Was there ever a plan to do anything with them, any relief for them? Uh, they are not eligible uh, for for DACA, uh, and if, if memory serves, in, in 2014, when we were expanding, trying to expand DACA, we looked into finding a way to benefit them, but we were advised by the Department of Justice that it would exceed the president's authority um, to do that. What happened to DAPA? Yes. So DAPA, Deferred Action for Parents of Americans, is a program that benefits parents of U.S. citizens. Like if I cross the border without authorization, say from Mexico, and then um, a couple years later, I had a kid. My kid is a U.S. citizen by birth and whereas I'm not. And so then we grow up, the kid grows up, and his, his parents are at risk of being removed from the country. DAPA was an attempt to protect uh, those parents. Uh, but it was, it was... So DAPA was, was um, challenged immediately by a coalition of 26 states. Uh, and it was struck down by a district judge uh, who was technically a preliminary injunction, meaning that the program never went into effect. And then a court of appeals upheld that injunction. Then it got to the Supreme Court. And after the death of Justice Scalia, they were down the man. And the justices split 4-4 on the question of whether DAPA was a legitimate exercise of President Obama's executive authority. Now, I just read that there are some state's attorneys who are filing a lawsuit challenging the latest Trump decision around DACA. What does that mean, though? Yes, those lawsuits uh, were filed today, actually. Uh, and I have not had a chance to fully review them, but they uh, it seems that one claim they're making is that the ending of DACA was done on, out of... Uh, racial animus out of a, a dislike for, for Latinos and specifically Mexicans. Uh, as we remember well from the campaign, uh, Donald Trump said a lot of incendiary things about folks coming from Mexico, and he said a lot of incendiary things about uh, the 
Mexican-American judge who was handling uh, the Trump University case, Judge Curiel, um, who was born in, in the United States, but that didn't stop Trump from saying that the judge was biased because uh, uh, he's a Mexican, in, in, in Trump's words. Now, these suits are, are an uphill battle, certainly. Uh, and I would assume, based on the composition of the Supreme Court, uh, based on how the travel ban lawsuits went, and based on how the 2014 challenge to DAPA went, what do you think is the best that we can hope for from Congress with regard to DACA? I think it's, if I were a betting man, I would not bet on these suits uh, succeeding. It's difficult to, to hazard guesses as to what will happen. I think it's unlikely that we will get a clean bill. I think there will have to be something um, on the enforcement side that will enable uh, Trump to, to declare victory. Uh, and, you know, it's not like Democrats oppose immigration enforcement of our immigration laws. There, there is room to, to come to uh, an agreement. Uh, the question is how, you know, you know what the scope of, of those provisions would be. Now, for people who support the Dreamers who are trying to figure out what, what they can do in this moment, what do you say to those people? Well, I, I think that at this point, the most important thing is to uh, work on your, your member of Congress. Uh, in some ways, it's analogous to uh, the debates over uh, Obamacare, the, the Affordable Care Act uh, from earlier this year, where there was uh, momentum to get rid of it, but there was a huge uh, popular uh, pushback that uh, very much uh, helped sway the results. Um, in, in some ways, people got caught a little flat-footed when the, the, looked, the bill looked dead in the House, and then they re- it was resurrected and passed the House quickly. But then people were, were very strident in, in, in buttonholing their senators, and I think that was very influential in helping persuade some of them, like Susan Collins, um, to oppose. Well, thank you for coming on. We'll have you on again as, as this unfolds, and, uh, and I Great. consider you a friend of the pod. Glad to. Glad to be here. Thanks so much, DeRay. Well, that's it. Thanks for joining this bonus episode of Pod Save the People. And I'll see you again on Tuesday for the regularly scheduled podcast. Make sure you share this, tell a friend. And again, see you next week. This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.